Hello, this is Mary. And this is Chandler. And you're listening to The Miss Fisher Files. Welcome back. Today we're talking Season 1, Episode 8, Away with the Fairies. Great title. (laughs) So should we give a little bit of a recap of the episode for those who may have not seen it? Although I don't know why they're listening to us if they haven't seen it yet. Spoiler alert! Go see it. Stop listening to this. Go watch the show. Um, (laughs) Do you want to do it? Sure. Um, In a nutshell, anybody ever see the movie Miss Potter about Beatrix Potter? This is like a twisted version of that. <laughs> this would be like if Miss Potter got murdered. <laughs> sweet, uh, so, you know, seemingly sweet illustrator who does children's stories at a magazine is murdered in a very unusual way. And, of course, Phryne goes digging. Of course, Phryne has a connection yeah, to these people, as she always does. <laughs> and turns out there's some kind of misogynist underpinnings happening to this magazine and also I think within the magazine to, to a certain extent so mm-hmm. we find out a lot of um she's not just a sweet children's illustrator after all she's uh she's got kind of a darker side as we find out um I don't know about you but I feel like the show is really kind of hitting its stride now yeah in this part of the season and I feel like from this point on I like every episode is better than the one before I agree. yeah totally agree yep so, I mean, not knocking the first half of the series, I think, but... I think number four was, like, the depths, and then we got through that, and, and now we're just climbing. Yeah. It's clear yeah. sky. Yeah. Smooth sailing from yep. here on in. <laughs> now, this is the first... Oh, you know, I was about to say, this is not one that's about a random immigrant population, but I am totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we shuffle the deck yet again. <laughs> yeah. That's true. But it's not the main plot. It's, it's kind of a, it's a little subplot. Right. But it's still in there. Yeah. Hmm. hmm. We got the Italians this time. Yep. Yep. So, what do you what do you notice right off the bat with this episode? Um, Anything jump out at you? There are some really good side characters. Mm-hmm. Several of them, in fact. Usually there's one yeah. that I particularly like. But um, I like Miss Prout a lot. I also like Georgina Charlesworth, the editor yes. of the magazine. She's yes. a really fun character. She also is kind of a dead ringer for my next door neighbor. Oh, really? So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> she has a familiar face. Yeah. I don't know if it's just one of those faces. I think that's right. I really do feel like I've seen her in something else, and it you know, it may just be her face. Yeah. So maybe it's just your neighbor. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe she's moonlighting her. and is secretly Australian. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. But it is funny that, of course, Franny has ties to Women's Choice magazine. Of course. I, I think this is a really clever thing because, I, you know, I, I don't know a ton about early 20th century women's magazines, but I, 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 I feel like this is a thing, that this kind of household hints sort of homey magazine is kind of a secret feminist manifesto mm-hmm. in disguise because yeah. how else can you get information about family planning or women's votes or whatever the issue is out into the public and actually get it on a newsstand without the censors going after it. I think this is really interesting. It is. And she even says that if I have to print a 
thousand articles on uh, yeah, I gardening. Actually, I wrote Do it down. Oh, good. I actually wrote it down. She says, if I have to run a hundred new recipes and dress patterns for just one article on women's health or education, that may change a life. I'm happy. Nice. Like, that is pretty fabulous. That's a really good quote. Yeah. Um, and of course it, you know, it gets them into trouble and it, it, there's backlash and, and so that kind of adds an interesting twist mm-hmm. to the plot and, and we, and it's not, even that, even the backlash is not as straightforward as we think it's going right. to be. So it's, it's complicated kind of from the get go. It is. And sort of, it serves as the red herring partly yeah. in the murder mystery. Definitely. Um, I, I think it's interesting that kind of this whole episode is sort of a study in purple. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have Miss <laughs> Lavender. We have kind of the decor of the office. Franny is wearing a plum silk jacket for almost the entire episode. Miss mm-hmm. um, Lavender, who gets murdered, is wearing purple. She's She has cyanotypes all over her walls, which are kind of bluey purple. Um, she even gets murdered by a substance that turns her purple. <laughs> so it, it's really, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like this is maybe the first time where there's kind of an, they, they really kind of designed the whole episode uh, over one kind of visual mm-hmm. theme. Like I they think really stuck to the color palette. Yeah. On this one. Yeah. yeah. Fewer costume changes. I'm sad to say. Yeah, it's true. Although that jacket she wears throughout most of the episode is gorgeous. Just amazing. Gorgeous. The scalloped front and the way oh, it like, yeah. drops really low in the back. It's, it's incredible. And that straw hat that she wears with that straw cloche. And I didn't even know they made straw no, cloches, but man. But of course, Franny. Of course. One. Well, of course, she has She's 500 cloches right. in her, you know. One of every substance. her millinery <laughs> section of her closet. <laughs> it's got to be a very big closet. Oh, yeah. And we and speaking of snappy dressers, Mr. Lean makes another mm. appearance. Yeah. We get some pretty juicy lean action in yes, this. Yes, we do. <laughs> and we get her beautiful silver post-coital robe. Of course. Yep. That robe is fabulous. It is. She has the best boudoir wardrobe. Attire. Man. Yeah. I know. It's not <laughs> you can't even put it in like loungewear. It's not even No. It's elevated from loungewear yeah, status. No. Lounge I mean if you think about loungewear now, it's like velour sweatpants <laughs> with juicy yoga, written across totally. the butt. <laughs> it's like yoga pants and sweatshirts. Yeah. yeah. Franny doesn't do that. No. That robe though. I love the silver and also it's got a cord. Uh, yes, that follows with the, the beads, v. kind yeah, of like those crystal like a, beads in do the you back. Call it a lavalier necklace. When it, what's that called? Uh, that kind of necklace what? where it like dips down in the back. I because don't of, know. La, la, la. Oh, I only can think of as scapulars, but that's different. <laughs> it begins Catholic with an L. school for the win. Nice. <laughs> anyway, it's beautiful. Yeah, and I love. Yeah, I love whenever she wears that. Robe. Yeah. Oh, it's it just feels like I don't know. It. it it's shimmer. It's like water. It's like it's mm-hmm. made of liquid. It's really, mm-hmm. it's just gorgeous. I'm wondering, is that why he calls her Silver Lady? Maybe. I hope it's not because, like, she's a cougar or something. But. <laughs> 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 and um, I just have to, and I think I've talked about this before, about how Mr. Lean is an incredible dresser. But he wears, at the end of the episode, when we have our confrontation with the badass grandma in the warehouse, he is wearing a fedora that is made of straw. Wow. And it is so gorgeous. I actually paused it, did a screen grab, and I'm like, is that straw? <laughs> and I kind of called my husband and who knows more about this stuff than I do. And I'm like, look at that trilby. Is that a, is that straw? And he's like, I think it is. Wow. Yeah. So we were sitting there like geeking out about this straw <laughs> fedora he's wearing. 
<sighs> Love that man. <laughs> yeah, he can wear clothes really well. Mm-hmm. It helps that he's easy on the eyes. It does. His acting, eh. Eh. <laughs> We'll forgive him, though, because he's pretty. <laughs> Um, I really like when she first gets to Women's Choice to find out what's going on. Yep, and it's got the big red word on the on the wall there, and um, and Hugh is definitely worried when he sees her, as he yeah, should be, because he he's never going to come out of that the winner. No, never. No, he's not. Nope. But her line, like I wasn't the least bit suspicious until I saw you here. It's <laughs> really good. And I love that in this show that it's rarely the men who use the lines in this show. Like it's true. It's the women yeah, who are delivering the, the smooth lines. Yeah. It's oh, it just true. that cracks me up every time. It's so nice. What a nice change. Yeah. And poor Jack. He's trying yeah. to do his job. Oh, and then then there's the there's the whole post kiss tension. I know. <laughs> That happens. I know it's so good. And I, I love... didn't kiss you. I was trying to protect you. <laughs> that that whole line. I mean, the whole scene where she confronts him, sort of. I mean, very like soft con- confrontation, but yeah. um, brings it up. Flirt, 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 flirt. Yeah, flirt. exactly. It's less of a confrontation, more of a full-on flirting. I love that she hops up on the table of this <laughs> crime scene, like, and he still has his back turned. There's so many times when I just I love how they position them in a scene yeah. so that he's immediately caught off guard. Right. Like, oh, of course you're there, you know. <laughs> and she's always surprising him. She surprises him at the very beginning of the show, and he's bending down. I think he he closes Miss Lavender's eyes because she's lying on the floor dead and he looks up and is face to face with her like silk trousers <laughs> yes yeah and i think that this happens over and over and over again where she's often in kind of this body position of dominance mm-hmm. over him like an earlier episode where she's sitting on his desk feeding him potatoes Gratton. or whatever from yeah. from the from the picnic basket yep. and she often has him like kind of pinned yeah practically <laughs> And you know, I I don't think he dislikes it. No, I don't think so. I either. wouldn't if I were I, him. No, I wouldn't either. But I think he secretly really loves it. Yeah, and just has to put on a show of being frustrated, right? Or annoyed. It's in his some way, job but... to be the the brisk, grumpy one. Yep. Yeah, and he does he does an admirable job. But you still love him, so that's oh, a, yeah. that's a difficult balance to maintain. And I'm glad, like, the first uh, episode or two, I was like, ugh, this is going to get old, you know, because he was always grumpy. We hadn't yet seen any humor or any sign mm-hmm. of, like, humanity. And exactly. that gravelly voice. Yeah. And, yeah. So, yeah, I wasn't sure where they were going the first couple episodes, but then once we broke through that wall, mm-hmm. things have been very pleasant. Oh, it's so enjoyable. <laughs> it really is. So, there is so much art nerd meat to sink our teeth into in this one. Yeah. There's just so much. I First of all, I love the, the joke that Jack cracks when he's looking around all these cyanotypes on the wall and all this, you know, she's she's murdered by something blue and she and he looks at her art and he goes, obviously her blue period. <laughs> and it just cracks me up. And there's so much in here that's kind of technical that I really love. Like um, the l- little tiny details, like Franny's fountain pen that we just see a, a glimpse of. When is that? That is, what is that? When she is um, writing down the detail, the the letters that Jack is reading off of the typewriter ribbon. Oh, yeah. And you just get a kind of glimpse of her fountain pen, Mm -hmm. um, which was 
not a super new invention at the time, but was still kind of, it would have been kind of a novelty or huh. kind of high end. Um, they were invented in like the 1880s and it okay. was kind of this big deal. Um, and I love the typewriter ribbon. That's so clever. Mm-hmm. And I, I also love how they get into cyanotypes. And it's interesting because cyanotypes was an er- were an early photography process that people still use now, but it was kind of the first one of the first photo emulsion techniques. Hmm. It was um, developed in the 1840s. And one of the first, in fact, arguably the first female photographer and one of the earliest photographers to work with cyanotypes was a woman, um, Anna Atkins. She hmm. was a British botanist and photographer, and she was also the first person to publish a book with photographic images. So the year after cyanotypes were invented, she published a book called Photographs of British Algae in 1843. <laughs> okay. And they are gorgeous. Really? They're so beautiful. You can find these images online. Yeah, I, I think maybe we, should, maybe we should link to that. Okay. Um, the way cyanotypes work is um, generally they're a contact negative. So you okay. put the object down on this coated oh, yeah. paper and then you put it out in the sun. And like then sun this, prints, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's a, yeah, so sun prints are cyanotypes basically. Okay. And it's amazing how much detail they can pick up. So you get this kind of, it's almost like a negative, like the plant is white on this mm-hmm. blue background and they are so gorgeous. But what's interesting is that cyanotypes are really kind of a fragile process there um the once the prints are done you have to coat them with chemicals or else they will not last they'll mm. actually turn yellow over continue? time oh okay they'll fade hmm. so you know i don't know how accurate it would have been to in this episode to see all these cyanotypes all over the walls because right, right by a window they wouldn't have lasted very long huh. um but yeah and i also wonder yes ferrous cyanide is part of the process of doing cyanotypes but i i really wonder how toxic it really would have been. I mean, they'd ha- it'd have to be pretty concentrated to kill her, especially yeah. in the air like right. that. Yeah, dispensed and through the music In the music box. box. Yeah. But it, it'd have to be really concentrated because I think even, even the chemicals used in the cyanotype process, I think there's very little of that chemical in right. it. I think it's heavily diluted. So I wonder about that. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's novel and, mm-hmm. you know, well, it's a murder mystery. So we found out that it was... Well, spoiler, although, again, go and watch the yeah, show. Yeah, go watch it. Don't listen, listen to us. Go to watch it. But so John Bell uses the one of the pills that he's given in the army, right? Oh, right. Because they they're given cyanide tablets. Right. Did they do cyanide capsules in World War One? I? I have no idea. I have no idea. I should have looked that up. I feel like... I wonder, like, do you just hang on to those for a rainy day? You know? think they would ask for them back. Exactly. exactly. Although, he, though he was on the lam, so maybe they oh, never right. got the chance. Yeah, he skipped the country, actually. So, yeah. And he has one cyanide capsule. <laughs> He's got to be saving it up. <laughs> well, she was going to out him, turn him in. True. And he was going to be shipped back to Italy and charged with treason. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so I, I suppose that then that I guess the whole cyanotype thing was a bit of a red herring. It was yeah. more of like a clue. I'd forgotten that, yeah, it wasn't, he didn't take her photochemicals. He, Mm-mm. yeah. Yeah, he had something much more potent mm-hmm. than, than the photochemicals. But, but yeah, when, I mean, the photos just went with the whole mm-hmm. lavender, lavender purple, thing. blue shades of the episode and then added a nice little red herring. Mm-hmm. So I love that there are the magazine yeah. in this episode, and I kept thinking of, and I think I actually brought Dorothy Sayers up in the last episode. I think you did, yeah. 
um, so have you read Murder Must Advertise? I have not read that one. Oh my goodness. It's such a fun book because oh. Lord Peter Whimsey poses as an advertising guy. Oh, I'm going to write this And he's down. really good because, of course, he's good at everything, much the way that Phryne is. So it's Murder Must Advertise okay. and okay. pre-Harriet. But it's a really fun read. I think it's probably my favorite with just him in it. Interesting. And he's he's really good. You know, yeah. he's a really good advertising guy. And um, it's just fun to see that world in London at that time. Yeah. And I think this would have been more like the... Actually, it might have been about the same time. Yeah, I think that's right. I 20s. think the Dorothy Sayers novels are in the 20s. Yeah. So like Don anyway. Draper in the 20s. Right, exactly. <laughs> Not quite as slimy. <laughs> Good old Don. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's what I was thinking of, too, because in also in the Franny Fisher series of books, she is actually working at the magazine. So in this episode, she's just she's kind of in there to, like, do some investigating and mm-hmm. get what she can out of it and help out in some way. But she's more of an official partner right. in, the, uh, in the book. And it's just really fun to see sort of the day-to-day workings of a women's magazine yeah. in the 20s. Yep. And like you said, they, there's so much going on there, mm-hmm. more than just the recipes. Like there's, there, there's a, a bigger agenda. And than, I think it's also they've got into kind of the petty jealousies that, mm-hmm. that happen. And I'm not even thinking of like the, the affair that's happening between... Giovanni Campanile and you know <laughs> but but I'm also thinking of of like the young copywriter who is really ambitious and want, mm-hmm. and wants Prout. yeah she I think she's really interesting and mm-hmm. not not the brightest let's let's blackmail no. somebody at the top of a dark stairway yeah I I kind of think they sold her out a little bit I think from what we had seen of her in that episode, she would have been smarter than that. Yeah. She was very, she was very ambitious and maybe that's what got her. Like she was was, blinded by that. Yeah. yeah. But otherwise that was just such a dumb thing to do. I know. Really? Anyone do that? So yeah, that was unfortunate. I love the whole dot, and Marvin the, mo- the malevolent <laughs> monitor lizard thing. <laughs> it's I know. Just <laughs> it's really funny. And it's mu- it's a lot like um, in Murder in Montparnasse when Hugh is playing with the cars to kind of I know, like, it's reenact the, adorable. the chase. And yeah, here we have Dot pretending it's for her nephew. Nephew or, or niece or something. Yeah. yeah. And and then of course she's following the advice in the in the magazine and and when when uh, Franny says who on earth wants an embroidered lavatory seat cover and then <laughs> Dot hides it behind her back it's just adorable it's really cute um, the scene with Dot and Hugh as they're going through the letters oh I know oh my goodness uh, yeah. and maybe the first time we see Hugh being smooth yeah really that was really smooth like in an adorable kind in of in a Hugh in, for, yeah. for by Hugh standards. <laughs> That was like Rico was, Suave right totally, there. It was very suave. <laughs> it was so sweet. And I love that it takes her a second and she's like, oh, well, then I'd have to say she is she's his girl. His girl. <laughs> yeah. That was a good, you could do Dot's voice oh, very thanks. well. Well done. <laughs> um, and Dot as advice columnist. Mm-hmm. I love that they call it the agony aunt. Yeah. I, I've never heard that before. No, I haven't either, but it sounded like a, almost like a blanket term for the person who answers An these advice letters. Yeah. yeah, I've never heard of that, but I guess it makes sense. Um, I think it's interesting, and of course it's Miss Lavender, who is this person, but they her pen name is Artemis. And I thought about this, and Artemis is the equivalent of Diana. 
you would think if you're writing into an advice column, they'd name her like Athena or something, right? For like wisdom. Yeah. But Artemis, I think, is really interesting. And I think also points to Miss Lavender's style of kind of brutal writing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think of it as, you know, Diana slash Artemis was the goddess of the hunt. So she was the archer. Okay. So I think of her seeing herself as kind of shooting straight or shooting right through the heart of the matter. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But also she was totally brutal. So I I think it's actually an oddly fitting name for the advice columnist. I had not considered the meaning behind the name, but I think you're totally right. It's interesting. Yeah. And it turns out, man... That that whole thing with this this poor woman who desperate the, this red he- this red herring mm-hmm. that happens this woman with suffering from postpartum depression oh basically yeah. writes in and she tells her that she's a failure and that she needs to buck up and sloth is sinful and or you something need to like be there for your husband <sighs> and oh it's just heartbreaking it really was and we yeah. and we actually get to see the consequences of this because yeah. you know we a lot of the show focuses on what happened to women in this era but we actually see the consequences for men when women aren't equal because mm-hmm. he is not trusted to take care of his own children as a single father so they take them away from him yeah and Which that's is, i just can't even imagine awful that's I can't so imagine. yeah so like, turns I, don't, out, I don't want to imagine it's just so awful it's yeah. gut-wrenching yeah so and it's, scene, it's yeah. you end up feeling so much for this character who you you first think is a murder suspect mm-hmm. yeah i really do appreciate that about the show like you said they it's mainly focusing on women's stories and the lives of women. And I think it is really powerful when we see the after effect Mm -hmm. too. I mean, we see the, the effect that this horrible advice had on this whole family and how the the unequal system affects men too. And, and just a little detail, I don't know if they did this on purpose or not, but I noticed it when they (laughs) go to this guy's house his house is surrounded with lavender blossoms. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And I'm like, oh, Miss Lavender. Wow, good catch. Did not see that at all. <laughs> Maybe it's just because my husband and I just planted a bunch of lavender. Oh, yeah. So I kind of have lavender on the brain right now. But <laughs> You're spotting it everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, one little, one little technical rant. This is so <laughs> stupid, but I have to say it. When they figure out that it was clean water that... Miss Lavender left behind on her desk with her brushes in it. All I could think was, there's no way in hell a watercolorist would leave her brushes in water. Oh, Because yeah. that was the fastest way to ruin your brush. Right. So I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> I even wrote, a, I even like drew a little frowny face next to my note about that. <laughs> Fail. <laughs> That's really funny, but you're know, totally it's right. terrible. Yep. Um, I want to call out just a really brief scene Nothing even happens, but it's Jack and Franny at the top of that stairwell. Oh, where they're both leaning over the yes. railing. Isn't that charming? It's wonderful. And the, the way it's shot, just the angle, and then her blouse. Oh my goodness, her blouse. Yeah. I want it. I want it so bad. It's amazing. Now, it's, is that the geometric red and yep. pur- Again, more red and purple. Yeah. Like more... Yeah, it's like a yeah. kaleidoscope almost. But yeah. But sort of art deco in the, the geometric pattern. Very art deco, yeah. The scarf, and it's like chiffon, and it's just stunning. And then, then she pairs it under that red overcoat. Yeah. Which is just beautiful. But the, the scene with the both of them leaning against the banister and talking sort of casually. And, of course, uh, their arms are very close together. And he's, he's really <laughs> animated in this. Like, he's mm-hmm. far less deadpan. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I like Light Jack. I think. Light Jack, yeah. <laughs> I think he's Levity a little, Jack. A little bit lighter. Yeah. Okay, we need to talk about the communist revolutionary fighter bride. Yeah. <laughs> 
don't know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. That I is. love her. Camellia is I amazing. love her. Yeah. She's great. I only wish that she showed up more. I know. And I mean, I think they, they made a good, and I don't know if she appears in the book at she all. Does. does. She does. She's sort of an ongoing background character. Okay. She's well, really good at gardening. Oh, really? Yeah. And so she does Franny's whole yard. And uh, anyway, she's mentioned throughout. I just think, you know, if anyone's going to be a good match for Mr. Lean, it's got to be someone who's every bit as badass as Franny. Yeah. And holy cow, does she ever bring it. <laughs> and and um, unlike the lovely actor who plays Mr. Lean, she is, a, she is awesome. She yeah. is such a good actress. And she really is. I love the little subtleties of that, that little scene where they call her out and they figure out that she actually does understand English mm-hmm. and that she goes from being expressionless to having this little sly <laughs> smile and I just love that yeah. scene I also like how Franny approaches it because she says basically I know I'm on to you but I really admire your ability to take on granny granny yeah so that was a really smart place to start yeah <laughs> start yeah. with the uh the good stuff and of course she's a communist there's so many communists in this show there are a lot of communists but you know i i gotta say that the chinese communists are way more fun than the latvian communists (laughs) (laughs) well bert and sess are pretty fun i guess is is sess a communist or is it just bert i think they both are but i feel like bert is much more serious about it yeah you can't joke about it with bert he's gonna get mad yeah that's true he gets mad easily bert is kind of a prickly character trigger yeah yeah I mean, we talked about the kind of stupid fight that yes. they have in episode five, mm-hmm. but um, Camelia, Camelia Lou is, um, she's fantastic. And I, I love that she hides her little, you know, communist manifesto <laughs> in her wedding gown. Yeah. It's not very well hidden, but that's okay. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Honestly, she probably, she, she's in a safe house. Who would expect Well, not that be- safe. She gets kidnapped out. Like, is, yeah. what is this? Burglary number 17? <sighs> Once again, Mr. Butler... Did you hear the front door? I was, like, I was oh, come on. <laughs> come on, you guys need to hire somebody. Especially since Mr. Butler has like a trunk load of semi-automatic weapons. <laughs> and a cricket bat. And a cricket bat. Keep the cricket bat by the front door. Have somebody posted there. Because, yeah, people are getting snatched out of her house left and right. We and can have a Friday and- burglary drinking game, I think. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> there are a lot of fun things you could do with a drinking game. Oh, yeah. For this show. Oh, yeah. I have been thinking about it, actually. Jack and Franny eye sex. Oh, geez. Be smashed <laughs> It'd be so, so fast. Yeah. <laughs> be on the floor. <laughs> um, and I love that scene when Dot still thinks that Camellia doesn't speak English. Dot is doing this hilarious shouting and pantomime <laughs> act. Yep. It's just adorable. <laughs> if I shout, she will understand. <laughs> I really like the developing mentorship between Dot and Phryne. And it just, it keeps happening a little bit more in every episode. And it's really, really wonderful to watch. Mm -hmm. And so I think my favorite scene of it in this episode is when they're at the station and Dot has found the letter from Desperate Mm. in the pile. And she comes, she brings it in because it's probably related to the case. Yep. So they're about to leave, but Franny comes up to Dot and says, good work, fellow sleuth. (laughs) And the way she says it, it's really sweet. Yeah. And I just keep thinking what a good employer she is. Yeah. 
she's really um, wonderful with her staff. Like she kind of encourages them and helps them to be better. And she and Viney's very good at delegating. I can't yep. remember if we brought this up before, but she's a pro delegator. She and she kind of gives these tasks to people that she knows are going to bring out some quality in them mm-hmm. that needs. They're, they're going to discover something about their own abilities yeah. in doing whatever task it is. Yeah. And she is just a really great employer. If I have, am ever, and I really hope to not ever be in a position of management again, because <laughs> I did not enjoy it, and I'm oh. not very good at it. Oh, man. Um, I will definitely be channeling Phryne. It will be a series of what would Phryne do I think moments. weapons. Weapons. <laughs> well, it's, so she attacks problems one of two ways. Weaponry, mm-hmm. which is seldom used. True. And it could just be like a verbal... Although there's that great line at the very beginning of the series where Aunt P, who we also mm-hmm. don't see enough of... Oh, true. When Aunt P says, Friday, what makes you think you can go out there? And then she says, I have a gun! <laughs> yeah, poor Aunt P. Friday! Oh, the look on her face, I know, it's so funny. Yeah, so she's got the gun, so I think she feels protected. But, mm-hmm. but she also isn't afraid to make a really sharp comment to somebody... But another tactic she uses is, like, I don't want to say throwing money at it because it's not really what she's doing, but making a large donation or buttering up the situation in the way that will get things moving the right direction. Well, I hate to say this term because I really hate it, but it's very much a feminine wiles kind of thing. Like, she is not afraid, even though she is this multifaceted person who is so much more than beautiful and you know charming and everything she uses every bit of privilege that she has to her advantage Mm -hmm. she uses the fact that she's beautiful and that she's sexy and that she's confident and that she's wealthy and Mm -hmm. that she uh can move in the quote right circles because she comes from this high you know she's part of this high society and she's not afraid to use that to her advantage and she'll do whatever whatever needs to be done to get the desired result whether it's brute force Mm -hmm. or you know laying on the charm or making a subtle donation or kind of ingratiating herself in with somebody she'll do it yeah and she has all of those skills she's good at all of those things which makes her a superhero (laughs) (laughs) and i think she's good at assessing the situation and figuring out which of those tools is going to get the desired result faster so i think that's what i'd have to keep in mind (laughs) if i were in management again well when you talk about that i feel like she she's really good at teaching things without it being obvious that this is a lesson yeah she kind of lets the pupil in question kind of infer rather than you know, kind of hit him over the head with it. And did you ever read the the Golden Compass, those series that, no. by Philip Pullman? It's it's a children's series of novels that are loosely based on, um, I think, Paradise Lost. Okay. And they're wonderful. They're these wonderful, wonderful books. They're they're banned in a lot of places because basically they, in the trilogy, these kids kill God. <laughs> basically, oh, okay. basically, but I could see how that would. Run yeah, some- <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of an alternate reality, it's an alternate history of Victorian England. Like you know, I, w- I don't want to give away too much because they're wonderful books. But um, there's this great there's this great bit where he talks about the, the main character is an orphan girl, or she thinks she's an orphan. Turns out she's not, but um, she is with this woman who is both charming and terrifying. Hmm. And at first, she's really enamored of this this role model. Um, she's a little girl and there's this line where he talks about um, this woman was so elegant and beautiful and rich and everything and she um, was teaching this girl various things she put her through school she taught her 
geography and all these other lessons. And then he talks about how he taught her other lessons in such a, such a subtle way, subtle and gentle way that she didn't even realize that she was being taught hmm. and she was being molded. And I thought about that when I think about Dot and Phryne and what yeah. you said about Phryne being a really good teacher. It's like, I think Dot isn't even always aware that she's being taught these things and is kind of being molded into this stronger... I mean, she does bring it up sometimes. She's like, I've, you know, I've been a hostage and I've, you know, driven with Briny and that's terrifying. <laughs> but I think she doesn't even really realize how much she's growing and changing and blossoming. Well, under... just witnessing how Phryne handles her own life and her independence. Yeah. Because Dodd is not accustomed to that. She had not no. come from a background that allowed no. that for And she's women. from a big family and she's used to mothering people and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. But women have their place. And so exactly. just watching Franny go about her business has to be a revelation. And I think Dot is used to being granted permission. I guess she's used to asking for yeah. permission. Mm-hmm. Franny doesn't ask permission of right. anybody. That's true. She grants her own permission. <laughs> And as far as Franny's concerned, she basically always has permission, even when she clearly doesn't. And I think that's really powerful for Dot. And you can see Dot taking note. And mm-hmm. like in the previous episode, when Mr. Butler kind of gently hints that maybe she could stand up to her priest, Dot figures that out based on what Franny would do. Mm-hmm. And Franny wouldn't be asking permission. Franny wouldn't just take somebody's edict and say, oh, okay. And I think Dot is kind of really coming into her own now. And there's so much more to go. And oh, there's so, I know. Like, I just love how what lies ahead for her. Yeah. There are so many different little pockets of this show that I enjoy. And that even just focusing on, on small pockets, like, it's very satisfying. It's very... Yeah. Uh, it satisfies all of my feminist <laughs> sensibilities. Yeah. Back to Mr. Lean for a second. Okay. Um, I do love that the uh, the grandma who was just kind of stereotypical and mean at the last time we saw her turns out to be a complete badass. Yeah. But it still was a little bit like he, he went through so much trouble the first time we met Mr. Lean to make it clear that he is not an opium smuggler. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out, well, yeah, but his grandma is. is, is it, it is opium, right? That she is. Is it? Is it? So where do we find that out? In the warehouse? Or... Do I have this wrong? I mean, they're in the warehouse, and it turns out that whatever this... I don't know that we know what is being transported in the warehouse, other than Camellia is being shipped back to yeah, China. Yeah, I suppose so. I guess I, I guess I interpreted it wrong. I mean, I was thinking that, you know, Mr. Lean thinks that he's the he runs the family company, but I think... It, it was. It seemed to me in that scene that like, oh no, he doesn't run that oh, company. No, no, yeah, Granny runs that company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't run it yet. Yeah, and I get the sense huh. that he really has no idea what she's doing. Yeah, you could be right. I don't know. It just. I mean, who else has armed thugs? Why would you have armed? Thugs? Why would you have armed thugs if all you're doing is importing silk? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe okay. okay maybe it's I'm very, falling into this whole stereotypical no, trap thing. Uh, but that's that's a very compelling point. Hmm. Okay, I have to reflect on that. I, I want to rewatch that scene and see. Yeah. I like that uh, Lean has to tell Franny, like, oh, settle down. He's, he says, are you armed? She said, oh, yeah, and she busts out the gun. He's like, just wait, just wait. Those are my cousins. Like, <laughs> you know, people that, that are over there, like, don't shoot them, please. I'm related to them. <laughs> Simmer down. Well, it is, I guess, slightly better than the, the nameless kung fu opponents in the back alley oh yeah it's definitely better <laughs> those than that. guys might have been his cousins too i don't you we, know yeah we don't know we don't oh i you know i am a little surprised this is just a small detail 
I think it's interesting that they were not tempted by the pun of deadline because they talk about in the magazine all of these writers having to meet their deadline, having to they have to find the story in time, mm-hmm. blah blah blah. And I just I can't believe they didn't go there. <laughs> Maybe I'm just a sucker for terrible puns, but you know that would have been the first place that I went. (laughs) I think they abandoned that in favor of the original (sighs) title from the book. Away with the fairies. Yeah, that's really funny. (laughs) So, um, yeah, this episode is really interesting with Phryne and Lynn because it's been sort of on again, off again. Like, is he getting married or isn't he? And it looks like he is. Yeah, he kind of shows up for a booty call. Yeah, there's definitely a booty call. Um, But then there's that scene where she's in her slip. She's sitting at her her little vanity table thing. And he kind of confesses he wants more. Yeah, I think because I guess the engagement is off at that point. He's like, well, maybe this is my last chance for love. And she has to let him down. Just like, oh, honey, no, I can't do that. And and then mentions that um, she is working with Jack on a case. Jack is strictly business. So, yeah. My favorite line, though, is when Lean says, is he unable to solve crimes alone? (laughs) I forgot that. That's so good. I know. Um, Because he's he's irritated. Like, he's definitely irritated, but it was a very funny point. But yeah, I think it's interesting that Finey immediately qualifies her own choice with, it's just business. Yeah. She's making an excuse, which is really interesting. Cause we, and, it's, and she doesn't do that to Jack. When Jack gets his hackles raised about another dude, she's yeah. like deal with it. I don't see you stepping up. I'm going out with Mr. Hottie over here. Yeah. But she kind of justifies. She does. And I wonder why at this particular point and with, I mean, is it because of her relationship with him? Like, Or maybe she, she's red lean and she thinks she has to handle him more gently. Yeah, or soften the blow. The I care for you blow. Poor sad man. I know. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Miss Lavender wouldn't deliver it that way. No, no she would not. <laughs> Maybe it's just, I don't know. All I could think of in that scene, though, I mean, not knocking, Miss, you know, well, I am going to knock Mr. Lean, but <laughs> all I could think of in that scene was like, oh, honey, I can't have a relationship with you because you're just not a good actor. <laughs> <laughs> he just, he lacks charisma. You're so that's pretty, my, but that's all. That's all. I know. But he does make a good point. Is Jack unable to solve crimes alone? Sometimes I think he is. He he Mm. misses some very obvious clues. He does. In future episodes. And you're just like, buddy, haven't you been doing this a while? How did you miss that? Yeah, and you know, they always, like, he, they haven't really said this about Jack, but they always seem to kind of set up characters like him. It's like the the dashing inspector always gets his man, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's really not the case. Mm -mm. Not this time. Phryne always gets her man. Yeah. In more ways than one. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) And, I mean, she gets to use different tactics than Jack has to use, but... True. But, yeah, sometimes I think he really misses some pretty obvious clues. And she does... I mean, the mysteries in these are just, like, that's beside the point. I don't care. You know, and I don't know anything about how the Australian legal system works or worked in 1928 or 29 or whatever year it was. Half the stuff that she does, that would not be admissible in court. (laughs) Are you kidding? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Tampering with evidence, disturbing a crime scene, withholding evidence, sequest, you know, leading witnesses, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, most of it would have her in jail, I think. 
There are some fun little tiny details. Like I, I mentioned the, the fountain pen. There's also the return of the glass plate negatives, which we see in the mm. murder at the green mill. So it's a fun little period detail. There's also that peacock fireplace fan that yeah. we've talked about. Yeah. Um, thanks to you. I'm now noticing that. Isn't it kind of everywhere? Like yeah. it, it was a really, it is, it's beautiful. Yeah. Go to, but go I... to eBay people. If you want, <laughs> if you want that peacock fireplace screen, they're everywhere. Um, I, I was drooling over Miss Lavender's flat file. <laughs> Really? Super lame, I know. But you know what? Artists need storage, and I love a good flat file. Yeah, so I, I hear you, actually. I was looking at that, I'm like, yeah, I want that. That's really funny. <laughs> I just remember looking at that office and thinking, that would be a pretty good office to have. It is a good office. You know, spacious, good light. Yeah. Nice flat file. <laughs> so talking about Phryne and and Lean... It's really interesting that Phryne is the one to tell Lean that he really should marry Camellia. Yeah. And that, like, this is, she's amazing. She's got a backbone. But, you know, Camellia's not stupid. She's got to know how on earth her affianced man knows Phryne. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like it's not a secret. But they're both like, okay, that's nice. I really like you. I really like you, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If I were Camellia, I would not be... I would not like Franny. I would not like Franny. No, absolutely not. Even though Franny comes to her defense, sort of. But still, I'd be like, oh, yeah, now you're going to be all charitable to me. She puts her up in her house, even. Well, and then goes through her trunk. So there was maybe ulterior motive there. I don't know. But I also think she's trying to get rid of Lean at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I don't and know. also it's not it's not like Camellia and Lean had a love match. I mean, this was an arranged right match in the books. Phryne and Camellia get along great. I don't think they hang out a whole lot, but they like they have a good sort of working relationship. Yeah, and I do an love at the made. end at the end of the episode at least. I don't know if this is in the book, but I love that she gets the editor of the magazine to interview Camellia for this immigrant series. Mm-hmm. Because, so it turned into not just a plot device and not just let's shuffle the deck again. They actually take her seriously and they actually make her a part of this series. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Once again, Franny is seeing the strengths of a character and pairing that character with the particular situation that Mm -hmm. she's found and yeah she's doing that every episode in large and small ways yeah you know when you mentioned dot and her mentor relationship with Phryne what we didn't talk about was how dot gets offered a job yeah at the end as as being the new Artemis permanently I think and she turns it down and Phryne says you can do it yeah go for it if you want it yeah, and she does turn it down. You're, what does she say? You're interesting enough for me, miss. I think it's funny that she, you know, yeah, I mean, I think even... Different. Th- you're different enough You're for different me. enough, yeah. <laughs> and I think Dot recognizes that while she would be good at it and maybe would like it, she'd be doing one thing forever. She'd well, be and answering she sad letters forever. Yeah, she was struggling with it during the, the entire episode. And then yeah. when Franny's like, oh, yes, you're the new Agony Aunt. When they were at the station, she's like, oh, oh, great. So, yeah, Dot was not really wanting that job. But it is interesting that she's offered a job. And that's a really great thing. I think it's, you know, I I like to imagine, like, if she had taken that job. And you think about how she is basically diametrically opposed to how Miss Lavender did it. Yeah. But I feel like Dot would be too much in the other direction. Yeah. She would be so empathetic with everybody that she probably would... Wouldn't be able to reject any letters. She'd probably right. like feel like she has to answer every single letter. What does she tell Hugh 
All these people need are a dose of common sense and some kind words. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So, which is a good philosophy, I think, for handling that job. But Mm -hmm. I know just myself, I would not have the ability to read these letters and then go on and be a functional human being. Well, think about Dan Savage. He's not kind. No, he's not. DTMFA. I mean, like... He's more of the Miss Lavender. Yeah, I think you have to the build up a thick skin if you're going to be reading those letters. And Dot is just not a thick-skinned person. Nope. And I don't want her to be either. No. I mean, if she chooses to be, okay, that's her choice. Great. Yeah, but, but, but no, I, think I love she has Dot. major charm. Is how how what a softy she is. Yeah. So um, in the book, and I keep bringing up the book. No, you should. The, I think it's uh, great. The agony aunt is played by somebody different. It's a different character. Oh, really? And it's fascinating. I really like how they handled it. So the, the Agony Aunt is actually a part of the story, like a, a character that, that we talk to that has dialogue. Because well, I assume she's, she or he is not dead. Correct. She is not dead. And she's one of the employees of the, the magazine. But not, it's not Miss Lavender in the book. It's a different mm. person. And the revelation is a little bit different. The thought behind the answering of the letters is different the the fallout is different um but i think it's i like it better in the book than in this this was this was tidier Mm -hmm. i get it like Mm -hmm. i get why for a 52 minute long program you do it this way yeah and streamlining Mm -hmm. characters and things yeah Yeah. but it's a more interesting and compelling storyline in the book yeah. So shout out for the books yet again. I love them. All right. My so homework much. is to start reading these things. I you got to read them. Yeah. They're so good. You know, I've kind of avoided it because I'm not a big mystery fan. I have done some and every time I've been like, mm. it's the same as the show. I mean, who cares okay. about the mystery? Yeah. Okay. It's really not the point. I guess that's the thing. I mean, you, it seems like most mysteries are series. Mm-hmm. Because what is interesting about them is the main character who does the crime solving. And I think part of my problem with mysteries, mystery stories, is that A, I never give a flying fig about who did it or why. Yeah. Um, and I also rarely am compelled enough by the main character to want to go through a bunch of them. But that's not the case for Friday. Like, mm-hmm. I love Friday. She's right. awesome. Yeah. So, so she is why you should read the books. Okay. Because it's all about her her life and how she handles things and I mean it's just it's the show in book form but I think her character is is more interesting to some degree in the books she's not as likable interesting because she has to be in the tv show you can't have your main character be like unlikable she's she can be um tough like kind of a difficult person in the book and yeah it's it's usually framed really well um it's for the right reasons but she's just not as likable but that means she gets to have like more interesting experiences and well i I always think that's i'm always intrigued by characters who aren't immediately likable and and you know to bring up the children's literature again i mean the the, those golden compass books the main character there is not terribly likable Mm. lyra this little girl she's a liar that's her thing she tells lies or or you think about like the the hunger games series in the book katniss is far less likable yeah than she is you know she's pretty She's not altruistic. No. She is pretty... I mean, that's in there, but on the surface, she is kind of out for number one because of mm-hmm. her circumstances. And mm-hmm. and I think that makes her a much more interesting character yeah. than, than how they... And, and I think part of... In, in movies and TV, they 
like you said, they kind of have to portray this character that way to get to draw people in and get them excited. But I think also some of that stuff doesn't translate to film, like some of the kind of internal stuff that happens right. or, you know, the motivations behind a character that can be really hard to convey. Yeah, I, I think it would be a losing battle yeah. a lot of the time. But yeah, the overall character is just slightly different and, and because of that, slightly more interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. I still right. have Essie Davis in my head. She's also younger in the book. Interesting. I, think I mentioned that like really early on, but um, they're really fun, and they're so they are a very different style of writing. Very irreverent, I think is maybe the way to phrase it. I, they should be. I mean, yeah, Fry is irreverent, right? Yeah, they are akin to the show, but they're like they're not the same thing. So yeah. I look at them as a slightly different but overlapping genre, or yeah. you know, it's almost like Franny has become like an archetype. And these are just different sides of this universe. Like the one that always comes to, this is so silly, but what, the one that always comes to mind is like Batman. <laughs> you know, there are Batman movies and there are Batman comics and there are, you know, yeah. there's the Batman empire. Yeah. Is and vast. And it's really all, I mean, they're all different and a lot mm-hmm. of them don't have to do with each other and they're kind of, they deviate from quote canon. Yeah. But they're really, what they have in common is this character that that's what drives everything. And yeah. so, yeah, maybe this is like really... alternate universe Friday. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great way of putting it. And they all serve to sort of fill in the blanks to, yeah. for the story and give right. you some idea of like why a choice was made or the experience yeah. that has been gone through in the past. And I like picking out the little bits that were used in other shows. Mm-hmm. It doesn't translate directly book to But episode, it's just another interpretation. Yeah. And I think and it has to be told differently because it's a different medium yeah exactly it's it's like one thing that drives me crazy is and this was really common in like the 70s when um you know musical theater it was really popular i think at that time and so a lot of musicals got made into movies in the 70s mm-hmm. but a lot of them just look like they stuck a camera and pointed it at a stage <laughs> Which is so stupid to me because you can do so much more with film. You know, when you do live theater, you're limited by what you can actually produce on a stage and what you can move in and out mm-hmm. of a stage set, um, stage hands. You don't have those limitations with film. Right. So why on earth would you just stick a camera on a stage, basically? Mm-hmm. And that drives me crazy. And so I, this makes me happy that it's actually kind of using the medium of film for what it's used for and mm-hmm. for what its strengths are. And yeah, so maybe film film's weakness is you can't really get inside the head of a character without you know having clunky voiceover and right. narration and things yeah. but you can do so much visually and you can change location and you can you know you can do a lot with costuming and close-ups that you can't do like on a stage i i think there's so many strengths with film and i think they're really using them hmm. here mm-hmm. okay and rant <laughs> <clears throat> i do love the end scene where she has jack in for dinner and she was expecting mr lean so but now he's gone off to marry his bride I think it's not at the end. That's the dinner when she brought the typewriter. That's within. right. And it's an accidental oh, Chinese right. dinner with Jack. Yeah, that's which causes right. a little bit. And of And there's like discomfort. romantic candlelight and yeah. everything. And so she turns on <laughs> the see, overhead light. We and see Jack and they're like fumbling around, like he's not quite sure. He's he like, I'm hit. on a date. I didn't. Know, wasn't planning to be on a date. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, super uncomfortable. Well, then she kind of re- she reprises that at the end mm-hmm. when he comes for his, you know traditional nightcap or whatever he's there for and and she says you know i'll I'll turn on i'll be respectable i'll turn on the overhead lights and he's and she's well maybe just one candle and he says i'll be all right with that yeah and then she pulls out that sexy lipstick lighter again (laughs) (laughs) i could cope with that (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it is a nice transition that we see that he's really uncomfortable with it at first. And then she, I think she's very um, understanding of it and very sensitive to his level of discomfort. So Yeah, she doesn't just kinda, go in for the kill. No, she eases into it and sees like, okay, are we good here? Are we I good think here? She, you know, I think it shows that she actually respects him. Mm-hmm. Because if it were some beefcake dude, she would just go in for the kill and yeah. it would cut to her boudoir. Yeah. But she's not going to do that to Jack. And this kind of comes up in other episodes, too. You know, the, the, I'm thinking of the deadly dress. And, <laughs> yeah. And she and he says, you know, maybe another time. She pushes just Just enough. a little bit. And he's like, you know, she, I'd really love to, but yeah. not yet. Yeah. I and think she, she pushes just enough to make sure she is getting a reaction. Yeah. And then she lets it go. Because she can tell that he's uncomfortable, he's not ready or we've yet. hit, yeah, we've yeah. hit the limit for him, and it's it's interesting to see that little back and forth. But I love that we. It's clear that Jack's goalposts are moving ever so slightly. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Even in this episode, he yep. suddenly is okay with one candle. One candle. But I love when he shows up. She shakes his hand. It's so funny. <laughs> Good evening, sir. <laughs> Oh, Jack. Oh, um, so with the previous dinner, the accidental romantic dinner, when they are looking at the typewriter ribbon, I, so oh, I was... Are I you thinking about the hand? Oh, well, yeah, that that too. I was going somewhere different, but yeah. Hmm, there's I was like, there's hold hand, on to that hand, honey. Hand grabbing. Yeah. Um, so I was working on some financial stuff from a coffee shop the other day. Yeah. And my brother is in IT. He does um, a lot with like encrypting software. And I don't know. I, yeah. I cannot even fully comprehend what he does. It's yeah. very important. Like very secure scary. IT yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yes. Security based IT stuff. Wow. And so I hear lectures on like how to protect yourself from, you know, all kinds of ID theft. And you're not supposed to type your password when you're out using somebody else's wi-fi because somebody could be there like intercepting the keystrokes oh right scary so i was thinking of that as i'm like typing in all of my passwords to financial things wow and what it made me think of because i had just watched the episode was the typewriter ribbon that's right. the equivalent it is <laughs> wow you're so right that's like the analog equivalent but you know here's the thing though like that would only work with a new typewriter ribbon because I you can reuse typewriter right. ribbons. You can flip them over and do it again, and at least on some models. And so I'm thinking, good thing it's a new because if you reuse a typewriter ribbon, like then you can't. Oh yeah, that would be yeah. really really hard to. They would have had to spend all night with their hands together. What a pity that would deciphering be deciphering. <laughs> Jack, we're in for a long night. <laughs> And then they just oh, miss I fell it. Over. They just miss the murder, of course. Like the, oh, the yeah. side door is slamming as they run into the building. And of course, Miss Prout. It's like Mr. Butler with his cricket bat. Totally. Only they're faster than Mr. Butler. It's true. He waits like five minutes. Oh, Mr. Butler. <laughs> I still love him. He's great. There is some. Okay, we need some thirty-second Mr. Butler appreciation okay. here. He is in this episode, and I think he kind of helps Dot. With the letters, where he says, how about I take... Yeah. I take the never-to-read right. letters. Yeah, he knows that she can't handle he, she can't the handle level that. of emotion that <laughs> is going to be in those letters. I yeah, love how that's paternal really he is to her. And he was in the previous episode, too, with mm-hmm. the, you know, dating a Protestant and standing up to your priest. Like, he's such a gentle... He's also a mentor to her, not in the same way that yeah. Franny is, but he's much... He's very paternalistic to her, that's which true. I, I love. 
That's yeah, it's really sweet. Yeah. I love it. I really love the relationships with all of the characters and the things that it brings out in each person. And yeah. I just love this show so much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the denouement. I dislike it so much. It triggers all of the frustrations I have with those scenes. So in mm. uh, the Ruddy Gore episode, I can't handle it because it's super dramatic. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. Just like, oh, come on. Um, it's just so over the top in that one. And this yeah. one is, is similar, but it goes actually in a worse direction where yeah. suddenly... Mr. Opie finds out that Mrs. Opie's having an affair and lunges for John Bell, and then John Bell tries to make the escape. It's just a cluster of stupid. You know, this is this is what I always admired about Murder, She Wrote, is, is that in almost all of them, Angela Lansbury just quietly takes the murderer aside oh, that's and so- confronts them in a dining room and says, you did this, didn't you? And they say, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> So much better. It's so much better. This whole scene, I just ugh. oh, and then Mrs. Opie, her really melodramatic crying that oh, she does. Yes. Yeah, it makes me laugh. I'm sorry. In my notes, I have it was a four dude tussle <laughs> while trying to cuff John Bell, but not as exciting as the you know the Latvian holdup in the bank. True, it was not that. They really went for it in that one, even though I still don't quite understand who was doing what and why. But but it was exciting. Uh, it was very exciting. Yeah. And I understand the general concept of, like, a bank holdup. Yeah. So, it yeah. wasn't a, let's, you know, corner the guy in an office and he'll make a desperate bid for to escape. Yeah, no. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yes, that end scene when Jack arrives and he says, how would Mr. Lean feel about there not being any chopsticks at this table? And that's when she gets to say, he won't be here for quite some time. He'll have quite enough to worry about with his communist revolutionary Revolutionary fighter fighter bride. (laughs) I love it. I have a note here that I can't read. I can't read my own handwriting. Oh, um, so she's at home in her parlor, and Jack comes by to deliver the manuscript of the fairies story that Dot had been waiting for, and spoils it for Dot, which is really funny. And I also was like, well, that was a pretty mild spoiling, because really, does a story like that end any other way? (laughs) I still feel bad for Dot. She scurries upstairs. Well, I'm just going to put this away now. (laughs) But, um, so... Jack is asking Phryne about, like, basically, what does she know of Miss Lavender, and how was she at school, and and uh, <laughs> Phryne says, are you wooing me for information, Jack? And, like, sidles up to him. She's super close, like, I don't know. A++++ flirting. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And then Mr. Lean comes to the door and ruins the whole thing for Jack. And Jack's look of frustration is so great. He's like, ugh good day to you Mr. Lane or something or like but, you know, how are it's you kinda, like, it's not like Jack was going to do anything about it I, yeah I don't think so but it was just unfortunate timing Jack's and Franny just... is like too excited to see Lean true and she's still very thoughtful and asks Jack to like have lunch with them or whatever they're going to do which sounds pretty awful hello fifth if, wheel yeah if yeah. you're Jack sounds quite terrible so he's like oh yeah no I'm out of here but yeah yeah he was not happy well 
I don't know if you have a toast in mind. I have I a, don't. I have an idea. So I, I keep thinking about how she's done with Mr. Lean, at least romantically, but it feels like she's leaving a light on for Jack. And I feel like that last line of lighting just one candle, that feels... Feels Ooh, like a good way to end I it. Like so, that. yeah. What if we toasted to lighting just one candle? I love it. All right. To one candle. One candle. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>